You know, if, if someone were to get on Google and it wouldn't take long for someone to find that um, there's been a lot of corruption in the church. You wouldn't have to watch the news for very many days um, to find that there'd be some other scandal going on, whether it be a Baptist church or a Catholic church or a Methodist church, whatever it be, you don't have to look hard or look far to find sin in the church. The problem with that is that God's name oftentimes gets associated and put into conversations that God had nothing to do with. Right? A lot of people, well, God did this. Like, well, hey, that may have happened, but God was not a part of it. Because if it was sin, then it wasn't God. And so I think we can all resonate with that, that, that whether we've seen some sort of a, a sex scandal or adultery scandal in a church or, or someone was stealing money or someone was being incredibly judgmental and they, they shunned this family when they shouldn't have done that. We don't have to look far to see corruption in a church. But that corruption is not God. God actually spoke very clearly about his nature, that he is perfect, he is sinless, nor can sin even tempt him. Not only has God spoken very clearly in his word about who he is, he has spoken very clearly in his word about what his church should be. Now, as a brand new church, I keep using this illustration amongst our people. Imagine we are a newborn baby. We are just beginning to grow. Outfitter Church was birthed in October. And this is our first service of meeting weekly. So maybe Outfitter Church just began crawling. And so it's incredibly important for me to explain who it is that we are and who it is that God calls us to be. These are some early formative years and, and a lot of you here are, are about half and half. Actually, more than half of you are not members of our church. And so I want you to know who we are and what we're striving to be and who we are striving to be. And so for the next four weeks, this is called Core Values. We're gonna preach on one of our four core values every single week. And today is transparent community. This is just talking about what type of family of a church we wanna have and how it flies in the face of this corrupt and sin-filled country club mentality that churches sometimes get. I want you to hear from God's word, the type of church we are aiming to be. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 15. Now, um, if this is your first time with us, maybe you forgot your Bible, or maybe you don't have a Bible. Well, on the inside of every row, we have Bibles for you. So if you just forgot your Bible, it's right there on the inside of the row. If you do not have a Bible or you would like a new one, that is our gift to you. Everything we believe as a church is in that book. That is God's perfect word to us. And we base our life and our church on it. And so we want you to know everything that I say, if it's not backed up in scripture, then forget it. So we want you to have that Bible so that you can base your life upon God's promises 
as well. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, actually, before I begin, I'm going to ask somebody, Patrick, back there to the left of the bar, which is so funny we can say that about our church. There's a little knob that turns the heater off. It's actually on the right side of the bar. If you'll turn that off, we'll be able to hear me a little bit better. So thank you. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 15. Read along with me. Um, And great, our TVs are working right now. So the scriptures are on the screen as well. So verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction and be persistent in prayer. Verse 13, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So this is a letter to Paul or a letter from Paul the apostle to the church in Rome. Now, if you go with me in your mind's eye to Rome, this is a pagan, anything goes culture. Here's something. We live in a time that is more like the biblical New Testament time than any other time in history. So if you were to look at our laws, our government, our morality, it is more like the New Testament than any other time in American history. Now, we're still not completely there. And so to think about the Roman government, um, it was an incredibly uh, pagan society where anything goes And this is the church to whom Paul is writing. And the first thing he writes to this church, and he says, let love be without hypocrisy. He says it in the negative tense, right? Let love be without hypocrisy, which is negative. In the positive way of saying that, you would say, let love be sincere. What I love about the word hypocrisy is it means fake. It means that there's, there's some falsehood in it. And so it says, let your love be without fakeness. What's something that's like, if you put up a wall and you hide something on the backside of that wall, you can't see past it, that's fake love. So our value is transparent community. We don't put up walls amongst our church. In our church, there are no walls. That's God's word to us right there. Let your love be without fakeness and without walls. Let your love be visible. Let your love be sincere and genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. The next thing, detest evil. Cling to what is good. That word detest, I, I, I learned this verse in a different translation. And it's like the most powerful word for grossness. It says abhor. 
I don't know why, but I love that. I feel like that's the most powerful word in the, you know, in our vocabularies to abhor something. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's powerful, right? To abhor or to detest something, that word literally means to be repulsed by. So he says, let your love be without hypocrisy, without fakeness. Let it be sincere. Now that love that you have for one another is an affection you have based on respect. And so he's saying, let your love for one another, it's very relational here. Let your love for other people, the church, be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. And in that sincere love, in order to have sincere love, you must be repulsed by evil. Now here's the problem. If you line 10 people up in Casper and ask them to define evil, you're gonna get 10 different answers. So if I say something's evil, but John Doe says something's not, who's right? I'm glad you asked. It's God. That word evil means something morally corrupt against God's decree. So if something goes against God's desires or decrees, whether it be an action or just an idea, any action or idea against God's decree, his Bible, his word is called morally corrupt and wrong. So anything that we see or be a part of in our lives, if it is against God's decree, it is to make us sick. You know, the hard part about being a pastor is you have to wrestle with the text of scripture before you ever preach it. Friends, let me just tell you, I stopped right here. Five minutes into sermon prep, I had to stop and repent of my sin. I feel like my love is sincere. No walls, transparency. I hope you'll learn that. If you don't know that, you'll learn that I'm an open book. But I had to repent because sometimes I don't detest what is evil and against God. Sometimes, matter of fact, I scroll on Netflix and you select and the content and whatever show or whatever movie, there's so many things in that that God is against and that are against God. And yet I find myself laughing at the jokes that are inappropriate. Whether it be on Netflix or maybe on your phone or, or maybe with your buddies and the jokes that you say and the, and the things that you do. Let me be the first to say that I had to repent right here. When I read, let your love be sincere. God it, God, detest and get sick to your stomach when you see things that go against my word. Lord, would you please forgive me because so many times I find enjoyment in things that go against your word and I am sinful. May God forgive me and may God forgive us all. But he says, let your love be sincere. Get sick when you see things that go against God's word but rather cling to that which is good. Two polar opposite sentences here. It says, detest, be repulsed by, get rid of what goes against God's word, but cling to and hold on to that which is in line with God's word. Philippians 4 uh, verses 8, or Philippians 4 verse 8. Let me turn to that really quickly and read to you 
Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. Friends, transparent community looks like that our church, Outfitter Church, should be sincere in our love for our church and for our community. It should also detest things that God is against, but it should hold on to, it should dwell, and it should love things which God loves. And so if you're a member of our church, that is our goal. If God's against it or if it goes against God's word, we're not with it. If God is in it and if it praises the Lord, we're in it. We hold on to those things. The word cling means to associate with or to join. So we join God and things, or we join people and things that are good and we detest things that go against God's word. It doesn't mean that we hate those people and that we're never friends with those people. We'll get to that in a minute. But if we're gonna be a church that represents God, we can't love what God hates and we can't hate what God loves. As we move forward, he says, verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. This word love, again, is saying it's to have a a, a feeling of high respect and high regard for someone. So to value someone highly and do that deeply, another word would be affectionately. So to love one another deeply, how? As brothers and sisters. Sir, I don't know you. I know your name is Eric. We met just a few moments ago. You told me you're a believer. That means that we're brothers. That's the beautiful thing. If anyone is in Christ, that is my brother or my sister. And so as a family, we are to love one another deeply. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love. This is crazy. He doesn't say how you love them. How you love one another. See, the world, whether you're mean, most people are nice to people, right? But it seems like when you get into a church, we start this backbiting, this gossip, this backstabbing and this slander and this being rude to one another. And so anyone on the outside world can look in and be like, I don't want anything to do with them or their God. And so Paul's word, God's word to us and God's word to us as Outfitter Church is that our love should be sincere. We should hate what God hates. We should love what God loves and we should love each other deeply. Church, that is our goal. And if you're visiting, trying to figure out, that is our promise. If you come to Christ and you join this church, we are your family and we will love you deeply. In the book of 1 Peter, it says that once you were not a people, now you're a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And what he's getting at is the verse before all that, he says, you have now gone from darkness into light. He's talking about salvation. And what's crazy is that I was once not a Christian. And if you're a member of our church, you also at one point in time were not a Christian. We were not a family, but by God's grace, now I have a family. And by God's grace, now I've received his mercy. 
Instead of punishment for my sins, I receive Jesus's punishment for my sins and he gives me his righteousness. I am now a redeemed and adopted child of God. That's my stance personally. And that's what the Bible says is true for our church is that if you are a, if you are a Christian and you've joined out or anywhere, okay, that's, you don't have to be at Outfitter Church to be a Christian. That's where that sentence was going. I had to stop it before I got there. But as a Christian, and as a member of Outfitter Church, we are a body of redeemed, adopted children of God. We are family. And we will spend eternity together. And so God is saying, if you're family, then love one another deeply. What does love deeply look like in the church? It looks like this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, if you want a quiz for how sinful Pastor Tyler is, you don't have to look further than this verse right here. When it says outdo, I immediately take that as a competition. <laughs> I'm better than you with this. I outdo people with love more than you. That's how humble and good I am, right? And so that's a problem. So the word right there means to excel. Right? I had to find a different definition or I had to find a, a, a synonym for this to make it go out of a competitive mode. But it says to excel in showing honor, constantly improving upon how you are always loving someone more than they've loved you. And then what's beautiful about that is that if I'm showing that type of love, then, then you can show that type of love to someone else. And we just keep trying to outdo each other in Christian love, not in sinful competition, but we're just constantly excelling and we're outdoing one another and giving each other value and dignity. Oh, wouldn't you love to see something in Google News about that? Church can't love each other more than they do, right? It's like they've, they've loved each other so well, we can't write anything bad about their church. Wouldn't you love to see that in the news? Rather than people stealing money from each other, but rather contributing to each other's needs. That's God's expectation. And that's our goal is that we would outdo one another in showing them value and respect. Verse 11 says, do not lack diligence and zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Do not lack diligence. That means don't hold back zeal. Zeal is a Bible word that most people don't know and I have to look it up, right? Zeal is a word that is, means eagerness and excitement, something I'm in short supply of right? And so he says, don't hold back your eagerness or excitement. Then he moves on. It's a compound, it's like a compounding explanation right here. So he says, don't hold back your excitement. Be fervent. That means be really excited. So don't hold back your excitement. Be really excited in the spirit and serve the Lord. He writes this to the church in Rome, a pagan area, a pagan culture. They don't care about God at all. They were phenomenal. Here, here's the Roman culture. They were phenomenal. They were some of the best murderers in the world. That's what crucifixion was. It was a way to figure out how to torture someone to the point where they're almost dead and then they don't die just so they can not die and suffer for longer. That's the type of culture we're working with here. 
anything goes and murder is acceptable, right? And, and so that's a generalized statement, but you get what I'm saying. Paul is saying to them, to a Roman government that not too, too much longer kills a lot of Christians. He says, don't hold back your excitement. Friends, if there's ever a city or a church in a certain location that could not be excited about where they live, it was Rome, okay? It was not a popular place to be a Christian. And yet Paul says, hey, church in Rome, don't hold back your excitement. Be really excited in the Spirit. See, the Spirit is what you receive when you give your life to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the mind of God, God Himself, that comes and dwells inside of you, which then convicts you of your sin. It strengthens you to be victorious over your sin, and it teaches you what it means to follow Jesus. So he's saying, don't hold back excitement and be really excited that you have the Holy Spirit. Be excited in that. And with all that excitement, humbly obey the Lord. He says, serve the Lord. That word Lord means master. It means ruler. And see, that's the thing about this transparent community. We've always talked about how it's sincere, it's, it's real, but what is it? rooted in. See, you can go to a country club and you can have an identity there. Now there's, I don't know of any duck clubs in Wyoming because there's so much public land, right? But, but where I'm from, you could get a duck lease and you had like a duck club and it was really cool. You and all your buddies would have all this private land to yourselves to hunt in. But, and so you're founded upon duck hunting, but it's only for a season. See friends, the identity of the Christians is not seasonal and you don't have to pay to play. Our identity is in that we are redeemed and adopted children of God. That's what puts us on the same playing field. That's what unites our church. Yeah, it's outfitter church and we like to do outdoor recreation stuff, but you don't have to like that to be a member of this church. You have to love Jesus. If you wanna be in the community, in the body of Christ, you have to love Christ. And what's beautiful is whether you're old, young, black, white, from Wyoming, from Texas, from Colorado, we even give grace to Coloradans. And um, doesn't matter where you're from or where you come from or what you do for a living, if you love Jesus, that is our common bond. That's the identity of our community is that Jesus has redeemed us and adopted us as children of God. The next verse says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. I mean, all of God's word is inspired and perfect, but I'm partial. This is my favorite verse in this passage. Rejoice in hope. The word rejoice means to enjoy a state of well-being, to be happy, right? We oftentimes tie happiness to our bank account. That's not what this is saying, okay? This is saying enjoying, <coughs> enjoying peace, enjoying a state of, of joy. So he says, rejoice in hope. And, and hope is like, hey, I hope it's not windy tomorrow. Probably not gonna happen. 
Biblical hope is a con- looking forward to a confident expectation. So he's saying rejoice. So be happy in hope. A hope is a a confident expectation of what is to come. And if you are a Christian, if Jesus has saved your life, then your hope is, is secure because your eternity is in heaven with God. So he's saying rejoice in the confident expectation of eternity made right with God. Be patient, which means to endure. So endure affliction. You know what affliction is? It is trouble that has direct suffering. So not just distant trouble, present, personal trouble. Rejoice as we look forward confidently to what is to come. Endure trouble that directly involves suffering. And then I love this. It says, be persistent in prayer. That word be persistent means to refuse to quit. So he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in your suffering and refuse to quit talking to God. We talked about that. Our church does membership interviews where where if you're wanting to join our church, we just sit down at our house and we have coffee together and we just talk about how much you love Jesus and how he's changed your life. And during one of those membership interviews, they they express that um, every time they go to church, it's like Satan just keeps trying to attack their family. And and I remember uh, one of the people in the interview, she said, we will not quit. No matter what Satan does, we will not quit seeking God. That's what this is getting at. He's saying that we rejoice in what is to come and we, are, we endure suffering and we refuse to quit asking God for his help. Some people like to say that the Bible is old and out of date and doesn't have anything to do with our current life. That verse right there ends that argument. As a Christian, you've been redeemed and adopted. You've been made right with God and he dwells in you now. He has you as as a purpose being the light in the darkness in this life. And then when you die or he comes back, we will be in eternity with him in what we call heaven. It's that confident hope that allows us to endure affliction, to endure trouble that directly involves suffering. So when things get tough in our lives, it's our hope in eternity that enables us to endure. And it's in the midst of our rejoicing for what's to come, enduring the hard times right now. It's in those moments that we refuse to quit to talk to God. Be persistent in prayer. We are a people of prayer. Some of us are great at it. Others, if you're like me, not so much. Prayer is the direct access to God the Father, who is your companion, who is the almighty creator of the world. And it's through a relationship in Jesus that we have that access to tap in to his power, not for our gain, but for his glory. And so no matter what you're going through, you got a bad boss, rejoice 
that it's going to get better. Endure patiently. Never stop talking to God. You, maybe you have a spouse that's not a Christian and, and, and with all of your prayers, two decades in, they still haven't trusted Christ as their savior. Rejoice that better times are to come. Endure the affliction and the hard times and refuse to quit talking to God. Your marriage is tough. School's got tough. Rejoice in eternity to come. Endure affliction and refuse to quit talking to God. That's what the church should look like. Verse 13, it says, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Share means to take on as your own. If you share a ride with somebody, you're both in the same car. And so he's saying, share in the needs of the saints. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 13, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Now, there, there's some opposites here. Notice that he says, share with the saints. Now, that word means holy ones or the ones that are set apart. What we call that now today is Christians. We, we, you know, if like a really elderly lady is really nice, we call them a saint, right? But the Bible pictures anyone who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're a saint, which means Christian. So he's saying, share Share with the Christians in their needs. Pursue hospitality. In the book of Philippians, where we, all, we quoted from earlier this morning, Paul says that God will supply every need that you have. He says that. And one of the customs of Paul was that when he was traveling around from church to church, he would find about a need in this city, right? In, in city A, he would know of a need. Well, when he went to city B, and that church had a lot of money. In that season, things were good, right? The oil field was good, so there was plenty of money there. He would say, hey, church B, church A needs help. Send me money and I will take it to them. And so he would take these love offerings from church to church. And it was this beautiful thing. And they, they didn't even have Facebook or FaceTime or text messaging. And yet, thank you so much. They didn't have any form of communication other than a good old pen and a pad. Not even a pad. It was like old parchment. Anyways, they were constantly connected to one another and they knew which church was hurting and which church was healthy. And it was their love for one another that caused them to have radical generosity, sending gifts of money to through Paul where they would relieve the needs and the pains of someone else. And so he says in verse 13, Share with the Christians in their needs. Now here's the deal. There's two reasons why as a church our needs aren't met. First, we have defined want as need, okay? Sometimes I do that with hunting equipment. I need this. It's like, well, I want it. So there's, there's two reasons why churches don't have their needs met. One of them is that sometimes we define a want as a need and God doesn't supply it because we don't need it. But there's a really another ugly fact. Sometimes the church doesn't have its needs met because we as its members aren't sharing in the needs. I love this phrase 
when we have our base camp or our members meetings, I say this every time, if community doesn't cost you something, it's fake, right? You can pay your dues at a country club, come and go as you please. No one can really tell you anything. There's rules to operate by, but ultimately you can do what you want because you paid your dues. That's not the church. When it comes to God's picture of the church, you got to put some skin in the game. All of us. And so he says, share with the saints in their needs. So I think about Paul and that he would travel from church to church and he'd find out about a need here. He'd, he'd rally up some support and he'd take it over there to them. And then he'd, he'd just keep doing this as he's planting churches all over the place. And it really makes me think about some really, really precious souls in Texas, in Kansas, in Arkansas, and in Louisiana. Now I say those states because that's where almost all of Outfitter Church's funding comes from. God called us to plant a church where there was no church. That meant that, that meant that we needed to have the resources to do that before there was ever anybody in the church to give to that. So you think about the block parties, you think about the free coffee that we do, you think about the sports camp, all of that, which mind you, everyone who attended our very first service, we'd already met at a park party, at the free coffee, at all those things that God enabled us to do through the generosity of churches in different places. That have, Some of them have never even been to Wyoming, but they believed in what God was doing and they gave. We praise the Lord from that. And now that we actually have a church, our church is giving and it's beautiful. It's amazing. We were able to help a family at Christmas this year that really needed some help. That was because our church was giving. It was glorious. We support a church plant in Medicine Bow. You wanna know how we do that? Because our church gives. There's needs in Medicine Bow, 238 people and about 14 Christians. And we've got a church planter going there now. We wouldn't be able to meet that need if it wasn't for us sharing together in the needs. We're better together than we are apart. That's the purpose. Outfitter Church does not need anyone's money. God made bread fall from the sky. He can make money appear in a bank account, but he invites us to be a part of his journey. And he gives us the chance to put some skin in the game. Now, what's amazing is that said, share with the saints in their need. That makes it very localized to Christians. Then you have a semicolon. And this is amazing. Pursue hospitality. The word pursue means to do something with intense effort and a clear goal. So to relentlessly do something. I think we have that written somewhere, like maybe to relentlessly pursue Jesus, right? So that's part of our, our mission and our vision. And so he is saying to relentlessly pursue hospitality. I had no clue what this word meant until I studied this sermon. Hospitality means to welcome a stranger. And in that day that this church would have understood the word that Paul was using, it means someone who's not in your extended family or a close friend. Relentlessly welcome those who you don't know into your life. Transparent community. It's genuine, it's godly, it's family-oriented, and it welcomes outsiders. 
that challenges me. This was almost part number two that I had to kind of put the pin down and, and ask the Lord to give me help, right? And it's, here's why. The amount in which you're hospitable is how you see God's grace in your life. That verse that I quoted earlier, we once were not a people and now we are. We were once outsiders to the family of God and only by God's relentless grace of welcoming outsiders in are we now part of the family of God. And so if we once were strangers that got welcomed in, what should we be doing when we meet strangers? He said saints, and now he says strangers. So very much so emphasizing those that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We say this at our church all the time. Invite someone into your life before you invite them to the hangar. This is where our church meets. This is not our church. Our church is our people. And our people go to homes. Our people go to neighborhoods. Our people go to jobs. Our people raise kids. Our people go to high school. And each one of our people, we move out with the light in the darkness. And it says that Outfitter Church, right? So I'm just filling in some names here. Outfitter Church, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue, rel or relentlessly welcome outsiders into your life. The last verse we look at, verse 14. Sorry, never mind, two verses. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This one's short, sweet, and to the point. The word blessed means to ask for a divine favor. Bless those who persecute you. Persecution is a systematic program of oppression. That's what that is. An intentional, like if someone accidentally, I don't know, it, this, is a, this, this illustration got dark. If someone accidentally kills someone, it's called manslaughter. If someone intentionally plans it out, it's called premeditated murder, right? You get a lot more time in jail for that one. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, bless those who premeditatively cause you harm. Holy smokes, I don't know how I made it through the preparation of this sermon. This is such a challenging word. So you've got people who are intentionally and systematically planning to hurt you or your church. And God says to bless them. And that word bless means to ask for divine favor upon. So when someone harms you or oppresses you, or oppresses our church because we believe in Jesus, we're supposed to ask God to be gracious to them, not to harm them. It says, ask God to be gracious to them, do not curse, which is the opposite. It means to hope that God would do something bad to them. How many times are we tempted when someone harms us or someone attacks the church? We're like, God, just take them out. Take them out. They're slowing down your work in this world. God says, no, no, no ask that I would be gracious to them. I think of Jesus on the cross. He says, as they're beating him and torturing him, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Think of another man in Acts chapter seven, Stephen, very beginning of the church. Uh, he shares the gospel with a bunch of Jewish leaders and they kill him with stones. They run him out of the city and they throw large stones at him until he's dead. At one point, he falls to his knees. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Bless and do not curse. 
Last verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Again, going back to the rejoice, it says to, right, to rejoice in hope. So now he's saying rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy with, celebrate with. When great things happen, we celebrate. When, when something happens good in Taryn's life, we're all celebrating as Outfitter Church. If something great happens in Heidi's life, we all celebrate. If it's good for you, it's good for the family. And we celebrate that. But there's also a, a second part of that. Remember, if community doesn't cost you something, it's not real. Weep with those who weep. The word weep emphasizes making loud noise in your wailing. So it's not just saying be upset with. It's saying to have that ugly snot dripping down cry. When your family member experiences tragedy, a death of a loved one, a death of of a tragic death in the family, right? They go through a divorce. Um, They lose their job unexpectedly. They flip their truck on icy roads coming out of Wheatland. You wail and weep with those who are negatively affected with that. And you do everything in your power to not stop weeping until that person's done weeping. This world is lonely. I specifically think of a friend of mine right now that is just so depressed and dark. He believes in all kinds of different gods and reasons of why, like eternity. He believes in all kinds of, none of which are in the Bible. And I just see brokenness all over his life. And I think, and he's lonely too. And I just wish that he would come to Christ. And I wish that he would have a church that would surround themselves around him. That when he weeps at the hard things in his life, someone's weeping with him. And when good things happen, someone's celebrating with him. Friends, not only does Christ invite you into his goodness and his comfort and his companionship, he gives you a family. I don't know what your family life was like, but if you come to Christ, you're given a family that will weep with you when you weep and will rejoice when you rejoice. This is our core value number one, transparent community. We will be open and honest. We will reject what God rejects and we will love what God loves. Well, does that mean you're going to be mean to people who don't believe in Jesus? No, hello. We're going to relentlessly welcome outsiders into our lives. I told you we'd come back to that, okay? Tyler told me I don't have to like you anymore. No. (laughs) This is our family. This is who God calls us to be. Now, on our best days when our TVs are working and our sound system doesn't glitch, we're still going to fail. There will be times when we find ourselves as people and as a church loving things which God does not love, and that's called sin. We'll find ourselves not sharing in the needs of our church. We'll find ourselves being jealous when good things happen to you. And we'll find ourselves moving on and forgetting about the things which cause you pain and weeping. We as a church, will fail. But our God never will. That's our hope. Again, God's name gets drugged through the mud and God was never once in the neighborhood of that mud. 
Some of you sitting here today have been hurt by the church or have been hurt by a pastor or someone in a church. I don't know if I have the authority to do this, but on behalf of those churches and those people, I'm sorry. Don't let sin keep you from the one who can forgive you of your own sin. Don't let the things that a church did to you stop you from getting to the one which all churches exist for, and that is to glorify God. He is the maker and the creator of your life and your soul, and he wants a personal, redeemed relationship with you. The adoption papers are signed. You just have to say yes. So as we close, I'm going to ask our band to come up and I want to, we're going to have some opportunities to respond to the Lord from what we've heard. But before we respond in song, I want us to be able to have members of Outfitter Church. This is our calling. This is the type of family we're supposed to have. Let's ask the Lord to strengthen us to be who he wants us to be, to represent him well. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, you've been to base camp, you've, you've been to all these things and, and you're considering joining here. Let me promise you, we will do all we can to live holy lives. Are you willing to go to that bar? To, sorry, we, we're at a bar, but are you, the bar is set high, right? The bar is set high for what God expects of his people. Are you ready to pursue that? Maybe you're here because you're just exploring this whole Jesus thing. Again, my promise to you is we will try and be as great as possible. Be faithful, be loving, be sincere, but we will mess up. But there is a God who's never messed up, who is inviting you, saying, I will come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and be your companion. And I will also allow you to be a part of my family, the church where they will help meet your needs as well. So the invitation is, do you want to walk away from the life that you have and come to the God who is perfect, who will never fail you, who will be with you to rejoice on the good days and hold you through the bad days? Will you accept the invitation to be adopted and redeemed as a child of God? you want to do that, I'm going to ask everyone just to close their eyes and bow their heads. There's nothing powerful about doing that. It's just that people need to make decisions right now, and, and we want to give them the, the space to make those with some confidence. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you say, I'm tired of being lonely, I'm tired of being let down, I want the God that will never fail, and I want the people that will stay with me forever. If you want that, I'm going to just say some statements in a prayer, and I want you to repeat those. And in doing so, what you're saying is you're surrendering your life to follow Jesus from this day forward. So if you want that, I, I invite you to repeat these truth 
statements after me. Jesus, I want you. I need your grace. My way doesn't cut it. I need you to be my companion. I want to have the family of God. Will you forgive my sins? Will you adopt me as your own? I give you my life. Do with it what you want. I am yours. If you've prayed that, you were given a connection card on your way in, I'd love for you to check that top box that says you decided to follow Jesus. We're going to make sure you have a Bible. We're going to make sure you know how to get connected to our church. I'd love for you to tell me if you feel confident. If not, leave your number and I'll give you a call this week. Now, church, I want to pray for you. We've been given a challenge. We need God's grace and His help. Lord God, would you give us strength? We want to be holy. We want to represent you well. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name.